are uh, going to continue in our series entitled Unlocking Freedom. Um, this is your first time. Uh, we hope that uh, you'll join in with us. And uh, we want to find Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Galatians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible app or a Bible in the back, uh, we've got a couple on the table. We'll have it on the screens for you, but we really do encourage you to, uh, to find that and follow along with us. So um, last week... Last week we dive, we dove into this idea that, that God transforms us, that He changes us from captives, from people who are literally enslaved by our sin and by the things of this world, into His children, that, that we would become children of God. And uh, that when we, in faith and, and trust in Jesus, and we follow Him in baptism, we become a part of the family of God, just like we, we saw this morning. Uh, such an exciting time. And, and so, uh, as Paul continues writing in this letter to the Galatians in chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 is, is kind of like this pivotal moment where we get to see, well, okay, I'm a child of God. I, I am free. Like, Jesus sets us free. But then what does that look like for me to live uh, and to be a part of the family of God? What does it look like for me to live as a child of God? How do I begin to unlock this freedom that Christ has given to us? And so... Uh, today we're gonna we're gonna jump into that in Galatians chapter four, and uh, so we're gonna read the first twenty verses together, and then we're gonna pray for our time in the Word. Um, and so, if you've got that, follow along with us. We're gonna have it on the screen as well. It says, "I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father." In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, formerly, he writes, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, because as I am, for, all, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you have given us your word so that we don't have to wonder about your love. We don't have to, to wonder about the truth, but that we know through your word and through the gift of the Holy Spirit helping us to understand that, 
that you love us, that you have a plan for us, and that you desire us to live and walk and stand firm in this freedom that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray today that you would help us as children, as heirs, no longer slaves, to understand how we might best walk in this freedom. We pray that you would help us to to understand and receive your word, and, and not just for us, but for the community that you have called us to be in and to reach and to love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to go outside with the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This past Monday morning uh, was, was fall break. It was the beginning of fall break, which was nice. Um, but it was also one of those Monday mornings that was just a Monday morning. Is it, does anybody regularly have good Monday mornings? Okay, nobody. Nobody. That's good. Okay. So maybe I'm not alone in that. Nobody has just like, I, Monday morning is always good. Well, this past Monday morning was particularly bad for me. I got to work late. Uh, I was tired and I was angry because the whole morning had gone wrong. We had overslept. And then once we'd overslept, like we wake up and the four of us, um, Caitlin and my two children, like we were just yelling at each other and the kids are like yelling, we're hungry and we want breakfast and we're yelling at them, we're trying to give you breakfast and they're not wanting like whatever we give them. It was just, it was a terrible morning and then I'm late and, and I get to work and I sit down and, uh, and I'm like, why was that so difficult? <laughs> why was Monday morning so difficult? And, and then it all hit me. I had given myself to the punishment of staying up late to watch my beloved Indianapolis Colts on Sunday night football. In the spirit of generosity, I told Caitlin early in, in, the, in the night, I was like, honey, you go to bed early. It's going to be a long week. I'll stay up and do the laundry so that I can watch Colts football, right? So there's a little bit of laundry, a lot of football, and, and I'm watching the Colts, and like we're in charge of the game. We get down to like four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We've got a 14-point lead. Yes, this is a good thing. And then I watch in those last four minutes as we give away a 14-point lead, and then we get the ball back in overtime, and we still don't do anything about it, and they win in overtime. And I go to bed angry, mad, and tired, and I realize that in less than seven hours, I'm supposed to start this Monday morning routine. And that experience, um, it can maybe carry over to your life. Maybe you've had weekends like that. I don't know. Uh, maybe you've had experiences like that. But those experiences, I think in the middle of those moments, we realize that we experience consequences when we don't exercise discipline. We experience consequences whenever we don't exercise discipline. And, and you know, I, I mean, it's... I'm a sports fan, and I don't usually use all sports analogies, but it's just that time of year for me, right? And so... Austin McGinnis, he hits a field goal with no time left last night, and he, he does the same thing. To, I'm a glutton for punishment because there's this little twinge of hope in me that says the U.K. Wildcats are going to make a bowl game. And I know I should exercise the discipline that says, no, they're not. And there's going to be consequences for me not exercising that discipline. I'm going to be disappointed. But, uh, but, but I, you know, I tell that somewhat in, in jest and joke. But I think the same thing is true in our spiritual lives, right? We, we all yearn and we long for this freedom that we have in Christ, the, the, the excitement of a new life, a new birth in Him. We so want to live in that freedom. But when we're unable to exercise discipline, we experience these consequences. And at the end of those consequences, we find ourselves asking, God, why? Why is this happening? Like, why did this, this season have to be so rough? 
Why did I have to go through that, God? Why, why am I not just experiencing this freedom in Christ that I read about? I become aware of sin in my life all the time, right? I'll realize that I'm, I'm gossiping about somebody, or I realize that, that maybe I've, I've lied to someone, or um, whatever the sin is, I've, I treated my children too harshly. And, and the funny thing is, too often in my own life, and maybe in yours, we become aware of a sin, and then instead of saying no to that sin, we return to it, right? We come back to it, and it becomes this catch. It becomes this hiccup. It becomes this pattern in our lives. And Paul, as he's writing here to the Galatians, he realizes that they're in that same kind of a cycle, that they want so badly to experience this freedom that they have in Christ, and yet they're struggling so much with the discipline to not return to the old things that enslave them. Look back with me, if you would, at verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. In other words, there were things in your life that were trapping you, enslaving you, that were making you do things that you didn't really want to do, that weren't even God. They, they weren't God, but they were trapping you. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. And in this, he's referencing the Jewish law, which would have said, it would have mandated some festivals. And he's like, you're trying to figure out like how to throw the right party to follow Jesus. And, and you've, you've submitted yourself again to that. He said, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul's essentially saying all the things that you wanted to be free from, all the things that you wanted to stay away from, you're going back to because of what these Judaizers are saying to you. How many of us can maybe relate in that moment to what the Galatians are experiencing? Jesus saves us, right? We read in Romans 5, that, Romans 5 that Christ died for the ungodly at just the right time while we were still weak, right? So often we meet and we find and we trust Jesus in the weakest of moments in our brokenness. And we so want to experience that freedom in Christ. And as we're trying to unlock freedom in our lives, we find ourselves returning to the very same devices, the very same systems, the very same sins that got us there in the first place. I love the, the, the imagery, the picture that, that we read about in Proverbs 26, 11. Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. How many of you have had a dog, they puke, and then it's like this terrible experience of like trying to hold the dog back from the puke with one hand and clean it up with the other. You know, you're yelling, come on, come, somebody come here and help me. I'm holding it. And if not, you just watch the dog eat the puke. And then you puke a little bit in your own mouth while you watch the dog eat the puke, right? It's just gross. And so you have this vivid picture uh, from scripture. I'm not even making this stuff up. Like God wrote this in his word. You have this vivid picture in scripture of what we feel like when we when we get stuck in this pattern of a sin, when, we, when we're, we're failing to, to step out of the sin habit that we have, right? You, you, you've been there. I, know you, I don't know what your sin or your thing is, but you've been there. And you find yourself going back to it, and you, and you do that sin, and you're like, oh my goodness, I did it again. What is up with this? Like, God, I don't even want to do that anymore. But like a dog returning to his vomit, like you're just eating on this sin, like, oh, I'm going to do it again. And that's, the, that's what Paul is writing about. That's, a, that's what he's getting at with this idea of freedom in Christ. 
And the reality is that we experience those consequences because we don't exercise discipline. So here's here's Paul's big idea from Galatians 4. Jesus sets us free, right? He's established that in, in Galatians. Jesus sets us free, but how free I will be is up to me. How free I will be is up to me. Sticking with our dog theme. If you take a dog and you put it in a carrier, and then you take it like to family Thanksgiving where there's like 30 kids running around that want to pet that dog, and you set that dog carrier down in the middle of the kitchen, and you open the door, and all the kids are like huddled around that thing, that dog is not coming out of that carrier, right? He's like, well, maybe he is, but a lot of dogs, will they will stay inside of that carrier. And so often, I think, you know, Christ sets us free. Like we, we learn about what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he paid for our sins, that in the sight of God, we are holy because of what Jesus did on the cross, set free, redeemed, paid for. And then we face the world out there where all those sins that we struggle with are, and we're like, I ain't going out there. I ain't going out there. And we feel enslaved and trapped by our sins instead of free in Christ. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, when God sent his son, the sending of his son Jesus led to our adoption as sons. He gave up his son so that we could be his son. And then he goes on to say in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free. He has redeemed you. He has paid the price so you could be a son of God. He has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus sets us free, but how free I will be is up to me. Many of you may know that um, I grew up on a sheep farm. I was a real-life shepherd. And uh, we, uh, like on our, our little family farm, we had this big pasture that was divided into two pastures. And so there was a front pasture and a back pasture. And for most of the year, uh, our flock of sheep would stay in that front pasture. Uh, we kind of had gates, and they would lock them in, and there were, their barn was there. We would feed them grain through the cold months, and we would l- allow the grass in the back pasture to grow up. Like it would, it would become green, like get fresh and healthy. And um, when spring, like late spring, summer came, we would open the gates to that back pasture. And it, like, it never ceased to amaze, amaze me. You know, people talk about sheep being dumb. And I was like, this is crazy, right? So they would be in this muddy, like, and it, let's be honest, it's not all mud, right? Like this terrible front pasture where they've like trampled it all winter and there's ice and snow and melt and it's gross. And we would open the gates to these pastures full of grass and like good stuff for sheep. And they just go like stand at the gate and like, you going out there? I ain't going out there. You going out there? And we would like have to herd them through the gates. And we're like, go out there to the green pasture. And like one by one, like they'd slowly inch their way out there. And then, you know, sometimes there was like something hiding in the grass and something in the grass would move. And as soon as something in that grass moved, like any, any sense of like fear, they would all run back into the front pasture, like all right back to where they came from. And, and, you know, we laugh at the sheep and we're like, oh, dumb sheep. And then we think, 
you know what? There's probably a reason that God paralleled sheep and people in Scripture. Because we do a lot of the same thing. Jesus died to set us free. He died to, to set us free from the sin and from the rules and the laws and the expectations that, that hold us back from experiencing that true freedom in Christ. But then when He opens up the, the gate to, to blessing and, and to just walking in freedom in Him, we're like, you going out there? I ain't going out there. It's kind of scary out there. I don't know what's out there. I don't know what it looks like to actually follow Jesus and live in freedom with Him. And then we get out there and the first thing that scares us, we run back to what we know. And we forget that Jesus is with us. We forget that he's walking with us and, and encouraging us to do that. And so the discipline becomes saying no, right? The, the discipline becomes saying no to being afraid. The discipline, the, the discipline becomes saying no to, to trusting in myself and what I know more than trusting in Jesus. One of the, the stories that I love at Christ Community Church that I think exemplifies this idea of living in discipline so that we can experience the freedom of Christ is the story of the Midkiffs. Many of you know the story, some of you don't. Jason and Miss Melissa Midkiff have been able to adopt uh, two children uh, here recently. And, and we celebrate that, we're excited about that, like that's an awesome thing. But what a lot of people don't understand is that they had the freedom to go and do that because of the discipline that they showed in the way that they handled their finances. And so as they, as they got married, as they made decisions about their finances, I'm probably embarrassing them. So you can just give them a hug and you don't have to tell them all the details of the story. But they made intentional decisions. I remember I hadn't been at Christ Community too long and I ran into Jason at, uh, uh, at a coffee shop. And he was like, hey man, uh, where do you do your work during the week? And I was like, a lot of times I just come down here and buy a cup of coffee and sit here and pull my laptop out. And he's like, yeah, I just really don't want to pay for the cup of coffee. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, it's like $2 for a cup of coffee and you get free Wi-Fi. And he's like, yeah, we're on a budget. We're on a budget. I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you then, you know. But, but they were so intentional about how they spent their money and they were so intentional that they were able to pay off their house. And when they were able to pay off their house, it freed up their finances to be able to show the love of Christ to orphans in their home. I love that. They, they went through some radical self-discipline so that they had the freedom to follow Christ in whatever he would call them to do. Whatever he would call them to do. Another story that I think uh, maybe illustrates this idea. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times people hear this and they're like, yeah, freedom for Christ, that's good, but you don't know where I come from. You don't know what I have to walk through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. Uh, a few months ago, I told a story about meeting a guy named Joe who was leading worship uh, at a prison um, in LaGrange that I had the opportunity to go with Fran and Leon Leonard and, and minister at. And uh, this week, uh, well, actually last weekend, Fran and Leon went and they worked an, another weekend event in the prison. And Joe was there leading with them. And uh, they sent me this video coming out of the weekend that tells Joe's story. So Joe, um, Joe is, is serving a sentence in prison, and he's serving a sentence there because he was an addict. He was an addict in Louisville, and his addiction actually led to him um, robbing. And he robbed multiple banks, uh, feeding that cycle, right? Feeding that cycle. And he was eventually caught and, and put in prison. And when there, he, he found freedom in Christ. 
he learned that Christ had set him free. And I love this video because he gets to tell his story of how God is using his his life and his ability to figure out how to live in freedom, even though he's inside of a prison, to love and minister others and to teach them about the freedom of Christ. And there's this incredible moment in the video I love, and he and Governor Bevan are, are kneeling together, praying together for the people that he's ministering to. That's what it looks like to not be afraid to live in the freedom of Christ, no matter your circumstance. Not returning to your sin, not returning to the things that have a hold on you, but instead choosing to follow Christ in, in however, whatever way he would use you. So as we think about this passage in Galatians 4, I think the first few verses, they give us three things. Three things that, that we have to learn to say no to, that we have to discipline ourselves to say no to if we want to experience this radical freedom in Christ. And so we're going to go through these quickly. Number one is this. Say no to entitlement. Say no to entitlement. Read with me in verses 1 and 2. He writes, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. This is one of the greatest temptations, I think, of, of, of living the Christian life. We are heirs. We are heirs of the greatest kingdom to ever be created. We are going to inherit the richest, most powerful kingdom in all of creation when we are sons and daughters of God. And Satan knows that. Satan knows that. And when you know that you've got a big inheritance coming, there is such a great temptation to live an entitled life. What does that look like? A spirit of entitlement shows itself in thoughts and sometimes in words that look like this. I should be able to fill in the blank. I should be able to, to do what I want. I should be able to set my own schedule. I should be able to uh, pick and choose what's best for me. I should be able to choose what's best for my spiritual journey. I should be able to choose the way that I want to worship God. I should be able to choose when and how I do those things. Those things aren't necessarily bad or, or not true, but they reveal a spirit of entitlement that says, I know how to do this because I'm an heir. But what we read in this passage of Scripture is that although we are an heir and although we are the owner of everything because God blesses us with it, we are under guardians and managers until the date set by Him. And so we have to rid ourselves of that spirit of entitlement. It also reveals itself in another phrase, and that is, my kids deserve. My kids deserve this because I never had it. My kids deserve to experience this. My kids deserve to have that. We have to be very careful. It's not bad. It's not that they don't deserve it. It's, it's, the, it's in a spirit of entitlement that begins to creep into the way that we view our world and our relationship with the Heavenly Father who owns everything and will one day give it to us when we are ready. There's another one that mixes in a little bit of works with that, and that is, I've earned the right to. I've been here, I've put in my time, I've done, I've done enough good things that I've earned the right to hold this position. I've earned the right to do these things. I've earned the right to say this. I've earned the right to, to do that. I've earned the right to do it my way. And again, 
that, that may or may not be true, but it's that, that little spirit of entitlement inside of us that Satan can take hold of and grab and blossom into things that we don't like. And before we know it, the things that we feel like we've earned or that we have a right to or that we deserve are the very things that are holding us in slavery. Say no to entitlement, but also say no to your flesh. Verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When God saves you, right, we read here, He sends the Spirit of His Son into you. That's an incredible thing because now God is, is living in you and that spirit inside of you, it craves to be with its father. It craves to have that intimate relationship with God. It craves to have those moments where, where you know him and he knows you and he's soothing your soul and you are returning that back to him in praise. And if you don't have that desire to be close with God, I, I caution you and I ask you to consider, do you really know him? Does the spirit live inside of you? Because when it does, that spirit is crying out, Abba, Father. And when that longing is not satisfied, maybe we, we, we are a Christian, we have that relationship, but there's times where, where we go without nurturing it. And, and when that longing is not, not satisfied, that's when we're tempted to fill it with what we want. And that's called the flesh. It's called the flesh. Paul will go on to flesh this out, pun intended, in Galatians 5. But the idea is this, that there's fruits of the flesh and fruits of the Spirit. And when we're saying no to the flesh, we are saying yes to the Spirit of God in us. And that means that we don't just have these fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't just have those things. We don't just do good things, but they are immeasurably growing within us. What that means is we love more than we did last week. We have more joy in our life than we did last year. We're more patient. We have more self-control than we did as a young child. We're gentler with our kids than we were a year ago. It means that those things are growing in us. And if they are not, we should be cautioned because we might be saying yes to the flesh and no to the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Say no to entitlement. Say no to your flesh. And finally, say no to returning to your past. Verse 7 Paul writes, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Resist the urge, like the dog returning to its vomit, to return to what you know. Resist the urge to go back there. Do that because the highlight of your story is always where you're headed, not where you've been. God always wants more for you in the future than what you've had in the past. John 14, 12, I love this verse. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How about that as a promise from Jesus Christ, the man who is 100% God, 100% man, perfect in all that he did, perfect in all of his ways. And he said, you will do greater works than these when the spirit is living inside of you. Your best days are yet to come. But if you can't see where you're headed or you don't know where you want to go, you'll have no choice but to look back and wonder what happened. How did I get here? How did I end up trapped instead of free in Christ? Here's the last thing. The band will come back and we'll worship and respond. When you don't say no to these things, 
when you don't say no to, to entitlement, when you don't say no to returning to your past, when you don't say no to your flesh, they will flatter you. They will flatter you, but they won't free you. They will make you feel good. When you give in to that spirit of entitlement and, and you, you take those things on for yourself, you, you take that spirit on and you say, look what I was able to accomplish. Look where I came from and look at, look at all that I've been able to do in this life. Look what I can give to myself now because of all of my hard work. Look what I can do for my kids that I did not have done for me. They'll make you feel good. They'll flatter you, but they won't free you. And that's exactly the point that Paul was making to the Galatians. He says in verse 17, they, and he's talking about these Judaizers, these false teachers who had come back around and said, oh, no, 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 it's not just Jesus. It's the law. They make much of you. They make you feel good. They make you feel good, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. There are people and programs and rules and expectations that will all try and flatter you to make you feel like you're being successful, but they can't free you. They can't free you. Only Jesus can free you. And what's at stake when we say no to these things is that not being able to say no to these things may be the very things that keep you from saying yes to Christ. We want to say yes to Christ, but because we can't say no to these things, we are unable. We don't have the space. We don't have the time. We don't have the freedom because of our own self to say yes to the freedom that Christ wants to give us. So we read in Galatians 4, in the same way, we, you and me, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son for you and for me, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray. Father God, there's so much joy in being a part of your family. I pray, God, that, that for anyone here who has, has not made that decision to trust you, who's not made that decision to, to say yes to Jesus, to be baptized and join the family, God. I pray that you would give them a spirit of courage and boldness to step out and say, I want to be in that family. God, adopt me as your son. God, I also pray for those of us who are your sons and daughters. Too often we don't think about what it means to live as your children. Give us the discipline. Give us the self-discipline that we need to walk in freedom. Help us to stand firm in the truth of the gospel, that we are no longer slaves to fear. That where freedom is, you are there. To join you outside the gates, outside of all the messiness and, 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 and in relationship with you. 
Father, I pray that your spirit would lead us as we respond to the truth of the gospel this morning. Give us the strength to obey. Help us to know that we are loved by you because you are our Father. We long to know you and to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.